0: Welcome to Politically Pissed, the podcast that's super serial about mad bear pig.
1: Welcome
0: to Politically Pissed. Um here today with my co host Katya and Aris.
1: Hey.
2: Yo.
0: And my name is Saeed Charmini, and then we have Brianna Tatone. Go ahead and say hi.
2: Hello, everyone.
0: Uh, Brianna, you just won uh, House District 27. Where is that at?
2: Yeah, House District 27 is the majority of Arvada west of Wadsworth and Old Wadsworth.
0: Brianna's going to be on here today talking with us about a few issues, and then we're going to do an interview with you. Um, we're going to start today with the A line possible shutdown. The federal regulators have said that the crossing gate timing is still not correct. It's staying down too long after the uh, train has already passed. It's said twenty to thirty percent of the time it stays down too long. Quiet zones have been revoked, which I know, Eris, you live here in a zone that is affected by quiet zones. But I know the G line's coming through your area too, Brianna. Um, how is this affecting some of the people in your area and stuff like that?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I think the horns are the things that uh, people really are upset about. Uh, there are actually some bumper stickers on people's cars in Arvada that says, Arvada is horny. And there's a picture <laughs> of a train <laughs> with, uh, with the loudspeaker thing on it. So, you know, people are, are starting to get weary of this. Uh, this yeah, There's the train now. Right <laughs> now. There we right now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect notice. timing uh so yeah people are just getting tired of it they want the train they want it to run they want it to run properly and just you know get on with their lives i mean we can literally still hear the train right now
0: um but if you want more information on the train uh i know next with kyle clark did a nice segment on it um but you know for now it's an issue that's affecting a lot of people eris how how are you feeling about it
3: why would I become the stand-in for, like, how I feel because about everything? Because you live here and with it. Meet. Yeah, that's – okay. Well, all right, fair wait. enough. <laughs> well, also, you know, we've all taken the train to the airport at least once um, when it hasn't caught fire or <laughs> when it hasn't decided to shut <laughs> or down. Or the rail breaks. Or the rail breaks or yeah, yeah. whenever it actually wants to work. One of the things that people didn't ask themselves beforehand was, was it worth it to have it here? And yeah. I still say, you know, the benefits outweigh the cost. Mm-hmm man because well, i don't want to drive out to dia
0: no getting tired of doing that actually well, you
2: know it's funny um I, I was actually planning on taking the train out there for a trip coming up and i'm kind of getting a little nervous about that <laughs> after all what you just said there i i, I don't want to miss my flight i
3: mean it hasn't literally caught fire but no i've missed flights because of it and yeah it, don't be too afraid it only happens what once every couple of months. Once, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> when it happens that right? couple of months, it happens for days on end. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> we'll go ahead and move past this one, and we're going to talk next about uh, the VA's failure to pay the GI bill to soldiers, and I believe this affects a lot of people in Colorado because we have a large military presence, uh, a very large VA hospital, and I mean, they say the failure was due to IT issues. Uh, the secretary of the Bullshit. VA. Bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably. I mean, they run off an old
3: system to begin with.
1: Yeah, but bolter it.
3: Well, no. Also, IT issues are a personnel issue, so you're not getting in the right people to be able to update your IT exactly. system.
0: But I mean, we, we talked about it off this beforehand. Like the secretary of the VA has been changing. Trump wanted to make it his personal doctor or something for a minute, <laughs> or, you know, or the White House doctor is what it was. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was just an awful scenario there. And is this who's the same doctor that Does says he's know? like? Oh, I have
1: no tw- two hundred pounds. No, I don't think
3: no, no, was that. No, 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 that either. was his no. personal, personal physician. Yeah, the yeah, that physician. was okay.
0: the, cra- the crazy-looking dude. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah so you
1: okay. can- he knows. <laughs> <laughs> then we got some crazy going on.
0: So, yeah, so there's that issue. I mean, do you have a large military presence in your district, Brianna?
2: Yeah, there, there are a lot of vets there, and, you know, that's something that, you know we're going to try to work on some bills that are going to help those people out because you know they they dedicated a lot of their lives to the community and to our country and we deserve to really treat them a lot better than we have been you know shame on the federal government for waving the flag and and talking about patriotism and all this stuff and then really not showing up when the people that are doing the work really need it
3: well and since we're a state focused podcast i have to ask the follow-up question what do you think that our state should be doing to help support the veterans during this time period.
2: Well, I mean, you know, there's the, the federal government should be doing the bulk of the work, but whenever they don't, uh, we can do a little bit to to help them out. And uh, I was talking to uh, one of the veterans in my district, and there's just a lot of issues that they're not getting, and the health insurance end of things that we can kind of pick up the slack on. So hopefully, if Governor Elect Polis is got his uh, plan together for a better health care system, maybe that will help. And if there's some holes, the legislature might be able to plug those up.
3: And you are assuming an office that has control over some of our local universities and community colleges where veterans would use the GI Bill. How would you like to see them react in a time period um, like this?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't need to to drag our feet on this. We really need to get the soldiers, especially right now, uh, when there's a lot of jobs that are needed. We need to get those people that, you know, they have tangible skills that are not being translated to civilian jobs appropriately. So we need to make sure that we do that. I, I've heard a lot of people saying that they have all this training and nursing and paramedics and, and they can't even become nurses and, and uh, civilian jobs without going back through the whole entire program. It's like reinventing the wheel. Why are we doing that?
0: No, I completely agree. I mean, there's there's a lot of, like you said, nursing is one of the big ones where, you know, these people have combat training, field training, where they're actually saving soldiers in the field and come back here and hospitals tell them you don't have the right certification. Right. I mean, they, they could
2: fix somebody with, uh, you know, shrapnel laying around on the ground and, and fix them up. Yeah. And, and, you know, they can do it in a, in a hospital environment, which is much more controlled very easily.
0: Absolutely.
3: Well, also, it's a shame considering that we need – more mid-level providers in addition to more physicians out in the state so it seems like we're cutting off a pipeline for
0: well hopefully yeah. they get the va all stacked up finally with doctors and then that took forever to build in the first place
3: so for as long as it took to them to build it what 10, 10 times more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get it fully staffed and operational
0: something like that going back to the main issue of paying the gi bill and stuff like that i mean i i spoke with a veteran friend of mine because i grew up in the military i have a lot of friends that are in the military now he said i mean he's had to take out credit card debt in order to pay for living expenses and he said they routinely underpaid him anyway on the gi bills when they paid him in the first place do you think there's anything at a state level you can try to i mean i know it's a federal thing but i mean is there any kind of supplemental thing the state can do or I was likely to say well, no, I mean, you
2: know, the the, the state is not uh, the best place to find funding, uh, especially <laughs> with Tabor and Gallagher yeah. really strangling the funding sources off. And, you know, that's that's the unfortunate situation we're dealing with. And, you know, we're struggling to find money to fix the roads and put money in education and you know we have a lot of people that really need things done and we just can't do it and it's very frustrating so
0: i, I love that you bring up tabor because it's one of my favorite ones to pick on oh, goody. um so you sound like you know a bit about it um what do you think you want to do at a state level to start affecting tabor i'm going to sidetrack a bit here because like what do you think that is possible now that we have the
2: entire legislature the governor and all that Well, I mean, you know, it's it's an amendment to the Constitution. There's not a whole lot we can do directly to Tabor. Um, You know, we can put uh, things on the ballot as a legislature that can be voted on by the people. And I think, you know, what's really going to be important for anything that's really Tabor-related is to make sure we educate people about what the change really does and, you know, maybe not— Something that's going to be too extreme that a lot of the people on the right are going to cry foul about. Uh, you know, maybe some kind of referendum-C type action similar to that. Are, are you worried
0: about a lot of repercussions from the other side, be it Republicans or what have you, independents even, if you do anything, seeing as we won the state pretty handedly?
2: Well, I mean, you know, anytime you have a lot of control, you have a lot of responsibility. We have to make sure that we don't overreach too far because that's gonna push the pendulum back over to the other side a little faster than we want. And, Amen. and the 2020 <laughs> election you know, is is right around the corner. I hate saying that, we just got done with an election, <laughs> but it is, it you is, know, so. I mean, people are already throwing their hat in for 2020 right now. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that uh, we're smart about it and we, we stay on track to, to do the things that we need to get done and keep that 2020 vision which is really important. That's right right now that we have the power then. Uh, I guess we can move since you're talking about petitions and stuff like
0: that. We'll move to talking about citizen initiative petitions. The citizens initiative petitions are allowed to go on the ballot with, it was originally 98,492 signatures. And then you were able to get it on the ballot. That's based off the secretary of state's votes for every party all across the board. However many people voted for secretary of state, it's 5% of that number. It's going to jump 25% because we had a record number of people vote in this midterm. It's going to jump all the way to 124,527. It's going to be a lot more difficult for people to get initiatives on the ballot now. How do you see as a legislator maybe pushing more legislative petitions onto the ballot versus, you know, citizens having to do it? Do you feel like you're, you have more responsibility to do that now?
2: Yeah, I th- I think so. Uh, you know, 5% Uh, of that number is a pretty small number and I think that having having more people to be on a petition for an initiative is a good thing okay uh because we don't have a lot of frivolous things you know getting petitions and potentially getting on the ballot Mm -hmm. because um you know we have a lot of special interests that have ideas that they want to get on the ballot and it's you know it's pretty easy to to get that on there if you don't really need a lot of signatures to get it on (laughs) So the really good ideas that really are really popular with most of the people get on the ballot and not some of the things that might be fringe.
3: But what would you say to the people who says that this basically pushed special interests to the forefront and they're the only ones who will have the capital and the means to actually to get things on the ballot now where average citizens like some of us at this table, yeah, will be won't be able to.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, you know, it does cost money to get petitions out there. I think that if the idea is really something that everyday people can really get behind, it shouldn't really take a lot of capital to, to get those signatures.
3: I mean, there's a lot of things that everyday people are behind. Like, you know, we all agreed that we did not like slavery. It took Colorado two <laughs> 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 different ballot <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> measures like to like agree year, that we don't yeah. need slavery right. in this state. Um we didn't so. all
1: agree even after two times. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: Which is um even worse. I choose to believe that those people were illiterate. <laughs> 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 they read it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so just because it's in the good for everybody doesn't necessarily mean that will make it. And if you are going against special interest groups then that just raises the cost even higher especially because the money that enters the market means that they are able to elevate issues above other issues
2: i'm i'm mixed on it so I, yeah i definitely see your point there uh, i mean you know the oil industry put a lot of money into yes. 74 and mm-hmm. uh, fortunately people saw through that thankfully yes. um and you know 112 they put a lot of money against that one A lot of money against that one, which, you know, nobody else could have done. Yeah, the special interests do carry a lot of power, especially with, you know, money is free speech, as they say now these days. That's what they say. May I start
1: off with Senator-elect?
2: If you'd like, yeah.
1: Okay. um, Correct me if I'm wrong. um, You started off your, I guess, your political...
2: I'm not Senator-elect. Oh representative. representative. <laughs> I was like wow. Okay. We're we're thinking about future.
1: You were a precinct captain for Bernie in two thousand sixteen?
2: Uh no, I was just a delegate uh in twenty sixteen for Bernie.
1: And that's that's the beginning of everything for you? Is that how you began?
2: No, I got a little bit of interest uh with Andrew Romanoff's campaign for Senate in fourteen. No, it was was That was 10. 10. Yeah, yeah, that was way... Yeah.
1: Actually, that's yeah. how Said and I actually... We, we were
0: <laughs> when he was running for Congress. <laughs> yeah. and, oh, and okay. Team, that's when oh. we started getting involved. So. Yeah, he
2: wasn't taking corporate money, and I liked that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can get behind this.
1: How did it grow from there?
2: I was kind of out of the country a lot when I was working as a geologist, so okay. the timing for his campaign kind of worked out for me, so I was able to do some things with that, but... For the most part, a lot of the other elections, I, I wasn't paying that much attention because I was always working someplace and not really hanging around here. So you weren't really like politically in- inclined or even like motivated before that, or not, not too much. Okay, no, not really. Well, you
0: gotta start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. What made you decide to actually run for office now?
2: It's uh, it kind of goes down to uh, you know just my dedication to doing things for the community. And uh, I was a volunteer firefighter when I was a teenager and going through high school and college and I ultimately wanted to become an FBI special agent and I didn't end up getting through that process before I got too old. After that I came out as being trans and then you know 2016 election happened <laughs> and uh, So, a lot of you, yeah. so I, I got involved uh, you know with the Bernie Sanders as a, as a delegate. I started getting involved with uh, lobbying for the lgbtq community and going yeah. to a lobby day with one Colorado nice that was the first time I was ever at the capitol nice
0: how'd, how'd you think what did you think of it when you saw
2: it yeah I mean it was uh, you know a building I always saw from the outside I was never inside didn't know what <laughs> what really to expect, but it was uh kind of just all the hustle and bustle and things going on it was yeah. just uh so
1: your first time was in two thousand sixteen to be at the Colorado Capitol. yeah yeah amazing Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah
3: and i'm surprised that that made you want to run for office i mean my first (laughs) like these people are crazy they don't know what they're doing and me as a second grader should actually be running in this state but
0: (laughs) well and you mentioned about coming out as trans and you're the first transgender legislator in this state uh you're one of four legislators state legislators around the country there's there's several other openly transgender people in different offices and stuff like that as well. Was there any sort of pressure or anything? Like, what what did you think about doing that? Like, what, what made you think that, yeah, I want to do that, and I don't really care what people say or think?
2: Well, after the 2016 election, you know, kind of realized that I was in a group that was being discriminated against by the federal government, specifically. Absolutely, yeah. And I went to the Women's March, and... Kind of got a little bit of the taste of, of what activism was really like. I hadn't, I hadn't really done it. I hadn't had a need to. I was, I was a privileged white guy at the time, so I didn't have anything to fight about. And then when I became someone that was in a, in a marginalized group of people, and I was like, well, wow, you know, I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of people that are marginalized that need a voice and need help. After I wasn't able to become an FBI special agent, I was like, well, what do I do now? and running for office seemed to be something that I could do. It was Danica Rome's win in 2017 that kind of said to me, well, it is possible for someone like me to actually win in an office like this, because I, I didn't know a lot of people that were like me that held office. And I'm not the kind of person that would just sit down and shut up and not say anything if I thought something was, was wrong. I was gonna take a job that was to protect people and do the right thing. So, It felt like it was the right thing to do to to run for office, especially in a district where I didn't feel like my legislator was doing anything. He wouldn't see us when we went to lobby day, he would not talk to us. So he wasn't he wasn't doing his job. Yeah. That
0: can be really frustrating.
2: Do you hope to like sort of set a role or an example for other people to follow suit at all? Absolutely. Danica Rome helped me kind of get my bearings and give me some advice along the way and help me out. And I said, you know, I plan to pay it forward and you know help other people that come after me because I think it's important to lift up people that are marginalized and need a seat at the table. And uh, there was a quote that said, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. <laughs>
1: Shirley Chisholm, right? That's yeah. it. I think
2: you're right, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. You decided to run for office. Uh, what did you honestly think your chances were? Like, I mean, given the area you're in is kind of red and it was held by a Republican before, like, did you honestly think you had a shot? I mean...
2: Yeah, I I think I did. You know, the, the 2017 election wasn't uh, a big election across this, the whole country. Danica Rome had won in Virginia, which was a surprise to a lot of people. You know, we could see that federal government stuff was firing people up and getting them ready to to make a change. So I thought that, you know, my qualifications were good enough to get people's attention. I thought that I had a lot of contrast with the incumbent because he wasn't doing constituent services. <laughs> I said, well, you know what? You know Danica Rome that that was her strategy. Mm-hmm. She did that and that's what people want. People just want you to be the person who represents them and listens and does the job and it's like if that's all you people really want and you give them what they want then they'll vote for you regardless of who you are so I figured you know there's there's got to be a pretty good chance that I'm gonna come at least close yeah and whether I want or not I knew I was gonna do a service for the trans community by giving people a role model to say like hey don't just sit there. Run for something. Do something. And and don't let people walk all over you. Just stand up and do it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Yep, that's yeah. right. No, I totally agree. What
1: you want to bring up a merch?
0: Well, oh, in a minute I was going to talk about. It. She brought up how close her race was. Like, I mean, it was a nail bite there for a minute. It was, yeah. you know, six votes, twelve votes. I mean, do you want to maybe help us understand more about like the curing process? I'm sure you did some of that and just sort of the whole. How, how it felt like going through that
2: well uh yeah that i actually didn't do any of the curing stuff but but joe, joe here, here did yeah. maybe joe could tell you, a little, joe, you tell a little bit about that joe is my campaign manager Zo- joe Zemek.
4: well it, it was a it was a little anticlimactic i mean uh i had been through this last year with the municipal race so i knew what it meant and how it was going to look um so i was prepared for it but we, you know, as the as the time went by, I mean, it was just that was the the Co clerk's office was slow in in getting the ballots counted, and uh, many counties had more ballots than they expected, right? Because the turnout was substantially higher than projected, and so that was part of it. But then there's also like it's kind of a disappointing uh, ability to ramp up uh, the capacity to count. So it's taken a few days, but we saw. You know, we saw that the late ballots were trending sharply in our direction. Like, after the first update, our deficit was cut in half. So we're like, okay, we have a real good chance to pull this off. But we also need to be ready to cure. I need to be ready to know, like, how our recount works. We went to the clerk's office on the Thursday after, and it was actually while we were at the clerk's office that they told us in their next update that we were going to pull ahead. <laughs> so that <laughs> right, was pretty hell, neat. i yeah.
0: um, say Democrats always vote late.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and young unaffiliated people. They vote yes. late, vote too, late as it turns too, yeah. out. <laughs> When it came to the uh, cure, uh, we had uh, we got our first cure list uh, that same day, Thursday. For our whole district, it was only sixty-ish people, and that's nothing. Like our that was way below like our our margin, and we were only going to have statistically about maybe twenty-five-ish, you know, to a max of thirty of those names. So, Friday, uh, we started the cure process, and um, it was led by Austin Blumenfeld, who's uh, Ed Perlmutter's uh, campaign manager. So, he was in charge of, like, Jeffco, like, curing across all, the whole county. Out, yeah. uh, so, we, we, uh, the first day of curing was Friday morning at Perlmutter's office. Uh, got there at 10, and there were like 30 people in there. I'm like, <laughs> we, <laughs> have, really work, we have yeah. one volunteer per person needing to be cured. There this is. is good. <laughs> Solid numbers right And, there, yeah. and the, the number of cure targets didn't get that much higher. And I got two that day, like the first day, Friday. Yeah. I got one on Saturday, and then I didn't, I didn't end up curing again because I talked to Austin. Like they, cut, they canceled it for Sunday because it was cold mm-hmm. and uh, Veterans Day. They they'd had so many people out there. The people were starting to grumble about, like, you know, you've talked to me four times. I'm working on it. Like, yeah. chill. So yeah. <laughs> so well, the, yeah. uh, the, um, the curing process uh, went very efficiently. We had a huge number of people to make sure awesome. that it happened. And do you want me to just define curing real fast? We, like we just talked about it without uh, doing that. So what curing means is when uh, a ballot is not initially accepted for counting... Uh, typically, in almost all cases, it's because of a, a lack of a signature on your ballot envelope or if your signature is not matched. If the the scanner and then a at first or and then after that, a human you know checker thinks that your the signature on the envelope doesn't look enough like the signature on file to match. It's a vote integrity protection measure. It's you know also a little bit suppressive because some people don't think about exactly how they sign things, or they their signature changes over time, or whatever. No, and people don't think about that when they sign their ballot. Well, um, but that's what we have to deal with, and so you have to take a form to the voter, and they have to sign that form and affirm that they did cast a vote, because sometimes there are issues. One of the ones that I bumped into last year, a lot of uh, a lot of younger voters who will be college students will frequently be at a campus that's, that's outside their their district. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it's still in the front range, but some of them are out of state. And sometimes a well-meaning parent will accidentally oh. believe that it's okay for them to sign a ballot for their child, which, no, that is voter fraud. <laughs>
0: well, and I had a Republican friend of mine point out that mail ballots are ripe for voter fraud for basically that reason somebody else can grab it just sign it and send it in but that's why we have this signature verification system
4: exactly and yeah can it happen sure but but it almost never happens with malice aforethought. it's it's a parent who just doesn't know they didn't think it through uh, people who have power of attorney they believe that they can do that but that's actually does not apply to uh to the vote so um there's people who who Legitimately believe that they can act on behalf of their family member, and they are mistaken in this case. But those are not those are not curable ballots. Like okay. that is a mistake, and you screwed up, and that's too bad. But that's a tiny, tiny fraction. Uh, mostly, it's just the other causes, and easy to fix. But another thing I
0: heard too is uh, whenever you cure, or if you if they fix it or whatever, the signature they get then they will also put on file so that they have multiple signatures eventually, so that if nothing like this happens over time, right?
4: That, yeah. And so that it's that um, where you have someone who had an issue that you're not going to invite that issue to happen on the following election by keeping only that original signature on file.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, an that's
0: amazing amount of yeah, that Yeah. That was a great explanation of the carrying process. Well, I couldn't have, could have given you.
3: He nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't your job. It was no my way. job. Yeah, you, right? had go, you had to go to work.
4: I had to go back to work, Right.
3: <laughs>
0: Katya, I brought up Emerge. We just wanted to talk about organization. I mean, I know you went through Emerge, right? Yep. Um, How how was that experience for you?
2: Uh, You know, it was good. Um, It's a a really good resource for people to go through the program and go through the process of what you have to do, what what you shouldn't do. Uh, And then ultimately, at the end, you get a network of people that um, are going to help you knock doors and uh, give you advice on things and and maybe – uh, policy advice once you get into office and so it's just a really great resource and um, I also took the training at the Victory Institute for LGBTQ that, yeah. candidates oh. and how was that one? It's a different different kind of a of a training it's very intensive it's over three days okay. I think I got about five hours sleep each night because <laughs> we were
0: That's pretty intensive. <laughs> yeah
2: we, we the earliest I went to sleep was Eleven thirty, and the latest i went to sleep was two because we actually to like crack on too or? we are up at seven Oof. we were set breakfast at seven thirty, and then we're, we're going all day long holy cow and um, we basically go through and put together a whole entire campaign plan as a group so you get you work with a bunch of people you don't know which is kind of good because you don't really know your team when you when you run a campaign you're hiring people that you may not know except I knew Joe a little bit before this, so Got that was good. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you have to they, – they throw curveballs at you too. So it's, you know, uh, the candidate that you're working for has a, a problem and you have to do a press release <laughs> or some kind of thing like that, but you decide what it is, mm-hmm. and, and it makes it uh, challenging because you actually have to deal with like a real-world type of situation that might come up, and how do you deal with that? Cause there may not be somebody there for for you to consult with, at the time you just have to react, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was a really good experience. Uh,
3: um, and so, do you feel like the skills you learned from these two organizations are going to translate into how you go about the business of running the state?
2: It's not really a, a legislative training; uh, it's just mostly a, just a candidate type training. So it gives you all the tools to to run a campaign and and uh, and get things moving in that direction and make sure that you can raise the money deal with all the canvassing activities and time management and people management so it's all part of that
0: uh, do you have do you feel like it's sort of a disservice to you not sort of explain the legislative process because if they're going to teach you to run for office should they not also
2: teach you how to be in office just a little bit at least well i mean you know that's the individual that holds the seat that's really they could kind of do whatever they want more uh,
0: procedure level like how to run things while you're in office like you know how how to understand how bills work through the system or understand maybe like you know, if, if you're pushing a generally progressive legislative people from uh, like Emerge or the other program, Victory Institute, um, if they're trying to push more progressive people into politics, shouldn't they sort of give them a baseline understanding of certain progressive issues too, just so that they're more prepared for when they're in office, how to approach that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, and, and uh, Emerge does do a lot of the it, – it's for progressive candidates for the most part. I think you have to be a registered Democrat – uh, to take emerge, but you could be either a Republican or Democrat for uh, the Victory Institute training, uh, and we you know we do have a lot of people coming in from Naral and Planned Parenthood and the labor unions. There's a lot of association with emerge in that respect, so uh, we do get introduced to a lot of people that are doing those kind of things, and um, so we we know a lot of people we're going to be talking to about when it comes to drafting bills uh, for that kind of stuff. But, you know, on how to actually be a legislator, that that comes when you get elected. They do a whole training session that we're going through right now of um, who who does what and what department, where to find them, who to talk to, how you get bills drafted, uh, the whole process of being on the floor of the House, all that, all the, the nuts and bolts about actually doing your job is actually being trained for us now. And every state has a different way of doing it. Right. so. They're they're not gonna teach you that in emerge. You're gonna just learn it from the the, bi- the nonpartisan people at the at the Capitol. Yeah,
0: I guess emerge being a nationwide organization, they're more focused on just getting people elected. Whereas like I guess here in Colorado, you're lucky enough that they instruct you on everything beforehand. But I'm sure there's other states where they don't do that, right? Uh, yeah,
2: Possibly, most likely. I mean, get... Yeah, I'm not really sure. Okay,
1: may I ask a question? Sure. Can we have an exclusive on what your first bill is gonna be?
2: I don't really have everything set yet. We have got a couple ideas and we're we're working with the bill drafters and
1: just some nuts and bolts.
2: Hey,
0: what are your like a couple of top topics you might choose to be one to, like to be your first bill?
2: Something pertaining to internet. There there is a net neutrality bill that was last hey. year came up and I testified on that one. Uh I probably won't be carrying it. I think it will probably come back with Representative Hansen. But I'm working on something pertaining to municipal broadband. The reason why we have, well, we had net neutrality was because there's not enough competition. And when you don't have competition and you have people doing anti-competitive stuff, that's a problem. So net neutrality was supposed to level the playing field. If we can increase the competition, then theoretically we don't need net neutrality. But because of the way they made the net neutrality law in the federal government there's no preemption of the the law at the state level and there's a lot of states that have been trying to get around that but there's some there's some lawsuits against that by the federal government so you know what we do here we're kind of seeing how those other things pan out in the other states before we jump in on on doing our own thing because we're going to end up facing the same lawsuit and there'll be a precedent against that so Uh, we're trying to, you know, do everything we can to circumvent that, while we we get somebody else back in the federal government that might make some changes to put it back in. I think into the guy effect. that made
0: those changes was Ajit Pai or something like that. Yep. Yeah, uh, I forget the name of the organization he's in
2: charge right of. FCC. FCC, Yes,
0: there's that. But I also heard that the World Health Organization said that broadband. Who? The World Health Organization. Who? who? The Who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Uh, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> um, the Who, uh, not the band, <laughs> uh, said that broadband or internet in general is a, a basic human right. Wow. That, yeah, I, I hadn't heard that. I thought I'd heard it. Um, I was hoping you'd correct me if I was wrong. But if, if that is the case, I mean, a municipal broadband, I think, could go a long way to satisfying that sort of thing. Because it's the idea that, I mean, just simple internet can change the way people work, live, succeed, everything. I mean, internet's changed the way that the entire world works. Yeah. A municipal broadband, I applaud that one. I think it's a great idea. It'll help bring prices down, spur competition, all that kind of thing. So. Okay. Yeah, well, there there
2: was a Senate bill that came up a few years ago that made it more difficult for municipalities to actually do their own uh, municipal broadband. And it made it so that way you had to have a vote just in order to talk about it <laughs> at the municipal level. Oh, wow. So it, it would really put a roadblock on it. If we're all about local control here in Colorado, which which we are, Definitely. Uh, okay. then we want to make the municipalities be able to make that decision and not have to do a vote on it, I mean, you know, they should be able to have the ability to do that.
3: Municipalities have not shown that they're necessarily the best people to regulate or to control industry. Centennial, um,
0: did it. they have the I, zing or ding or yeah, whatever? Yeah, but
3: know. how many municipalities do you know that actually function well? Right, we're talking about the federal government and they can't even get bills paid to people who are in, who are in the army. You have all their information, you have the social security number, all that fun stuff, but...
0: I feel like the local levels where you can get most stuff done, though.
3: I mean, maybe. People um, power. It's what? focus more. Like where? Like Boulder wanted to introduce their own energy policy and their own That's energy system. Boulder. And then you go, <laughs> who in Boulder actually knows how to run an energy company? What gives you the confidence that your municipality could handle running its own broadband system if you were to get that ability?
2: No, I totally uh, see where you're coming from there. And, you know, I, I thought about that. There's some municipalities that don't want to be in the business of being an internet service provider. You know what they can still do though is install their own fiber lines and then lease it out to another ISP. So it doesn't have to be Comcast or CenturyLink or Brand X or whatever it is. Uh, they can choose whatever they want, and you know that will get more competition. There could be more than one that actually use those lines and then that will create some jobs and it'll get uh, people faster internet because they'll have a a different provider to choose from.
3: And then just given the emphasis on people and security with the internet, how do you reassure the general public? Because I know people who will sit there and go, the government's providing this line, therefore I'm going to be tapped or targeted or have my information put into a database.
2: The big data pile, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the federal government does that, no matter what the line is. Anyway. NSA, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think every line goes to the NSA, isn't that right? Or something like that. Yeah. I I don't know about any way of really controlling that, or you know, it could be in the language of the bill. I don't, I don't know. I don't
1: know. Representative Teton, I have a wonky question for you. So, as a geologist and a Bernie supporter. I'm gonna assume that kind of on the left. Yeah. Okay. So, what's your position on fracking?
2: <laughs> yeah, this. I know a <laughs> lot of people are asking here me that. in Colorado. That's a tough
0: one too. It, I
2: it's know. Sort of the party too. It, it really it does. does. Yeah. You know, we we are dependent on fossil fuels and gas and oil, and there's no way around that. What I would like to see is a little bit more transparency and what they do and what's in those fluids and make sure that the practices that they that they do is not harming the general public. I think there's a balance of, of safety with actually getting the energy that we need. And I think that that's where the, the problem is in that gray area that oil companies want to save money by not having to go through the regulations and the safety things and the setbacks and whatever that people want. The people want safety, which is making it cost more money for sure. them to do what they need to do. We have to strike a balance with that and still think ahead for the time when we go to 100% renewable energy, which is what Governor Like Polis has said we are going to be doing. It's a very ambitious goal. Yes, it I is. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you you have to have a goal, right? I mean, you can't say like uh, you're going to go to the moon and eventually you go to the moon.
3: Yeah, but I feel like the moon was like a realistic goal. They looked up, they did the math. They're like, we can go to the moon.
0: How is that any more realistic than renewable energy? We, because we they live had years over 300 days of sun a year.
3: Yes, but they also had like years and years of testing rockets and all of the other NASA scientists. tests. <laughs> right? Here we don't have that. It's like, we oh, we're going animals, like. we're going 100% green. Like, can we set like an actual benchmark that will be met? I mean, that's that's what, a that's good question
1: part. for
0: her. Yeah. I mean, do you have a, a benchmark in mind if you're pushing towards that? Like- I,
2: I think it's good to have a goal and maybe not meet it, but at least it puts pressure on you to try to meet it. So yeah. put put a deadline on it. If you put it open-ended, <laughs> no one's going to do anything.
3: Yeah, but see, when I think about goals, I think about when I was a kid, right? I wanted to be in the NBA. And I was like, <laughs> first, <laughs> I need to be six seven, And then it was like, check. And then I was like, okay, I have to play high school basketball. I have to play college basketball. I Right? There are all those steps laid out for you when you have goals. And for me, I still didn't see the steps laid out before I actually see what, how we would benchmark and say whether or not we are meeting those goals. Um, to have a goal is a good thing. To have all of the things that lead up to reaching the goal is a better thing.
2: Agreed. Well, th- there's technologies being developed all the time. We have the National Renewable Energy Lab right here and they're coming up with new things all the time and you know we're just like one or two innovations away to really probably getting to that goal it's just i think the biggest hurdle right now is energy storage which is still not that great because it's uh battery technology we don't have you know dilithium crystals that star (laughs) trek had you know otherwise we'd be in real good shape but elon has great batteries though yeah i mean they're they're good batteries I'm just um, <laughs> but uh you know it, it's still i mean batteries that's it's not really gonna make it right now we we definitely need a new innovation colorado is a great innovative place we need to bring more people in here to innovate Ooh, more people in <laughs> to, to innovate do. to <laughs> innovate why, why, why you're, can't you're talking we we uh, a bunch of natives here so, yeah. yeah
3: I mean well also like why can't we just fund our educational systems here to where we can have people from here who are innovative and have the credentials to actually work in those fields versus
2: well you know, that would be a focus on education in the right. state too you're absolutely right yeah. that is true and and touche <laughs> it's okay. Nice. I went to a
3: wonderful state university. I didn't get into the He's good He's wearing ones. a sweater right now. I can see <laughs> that, you. Yeah. You're
2: advertising your alma mater right now. He there.
1: actually goes to DU. Well, now.
2: Now. <laughs> that's where a doctor. That's different. Yeah. I, swear, I went to DU as well.
3: See? There we go. Yeah. And I... I um, hope that you didn't listen to two weeks ago where I told you to go fuck itself. <laughs> 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 it was a certain department person Oh, okay. told to go fuck so, themselves, yeah. basically. It yeah. was literally just the department of education okay. in their chair, so yeah. <laughs> Good.
0: Mm. I want to talk a little bit more about the fracking stuff just to get your opinion on it
2: as a geologist. Mm-hmm. Does
0: fracking actually cause earthquakes?
2: Uh, it's not the fracking itself. It's the injection of the wastewater. Mm. We saw that happening in uh, Oklahoma quite a bit. Yeah. that they were doing these deep injection wells and there's a lot of fault lines and, and rock faults that are in the ground all over the place and you know there's not a lot of tectonic stress on the middle of the continent yeah. where we live and in Oklahoma but there still is some stress on there and when you inject water at high pressure you actually lubricate those faults that have a lot of stress built up on them and then they move a little bit and that's what, that's what they're doing there could be you know if they do it in the wrong place at the wrong time it's possible they could cause a a larger earthquake but small earthquakes you know they they may not do a lot of damage but they definitely are frightening for a lot of people so it's it's bad pr (laughs) to to do that kind of stuff so would your answer more be like it depends yeah i mean it's it's not it's not the fracking itself it's the it's the injection of the wastewater and I personally don't like the fact that a lot of potable water is being used for fracking, uh, especially when we have, you know, water, it's a very precious resource here. It is. And we we sell it to other states. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's going to be more precious later on and I'd rather not see potable water being used for fracking. They should be able to use recycled water or something like that.
3: Am I hearing, like, the makings of a bill that regulates fracking in the state?
2: Uh, no, not for me. No, not right now. <laughs> no I, I, I'm just throwing some things against the wall. We'll you know, let's end up seeing what sticks, but not not at least uh this session at least so you know there's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done
3: N- not a problem i uh also because you're i feel like you're gonna be very busy this first session for yes. you <laughs> yes. so.
2: the first
0: session for everyone coming in is always hectic and busy and learning
3: um
0: oh uh speaking
2: of being just in there are there any committees that you're eyeing to be on uh yeah i'm i'm looking into a couple of them uh and those assignments uh, should be. I think. They, what's today? Sunday. Sure, yeah. I think they might have made the announcements today. Okay. My my strong points are water, and natural resources, mm-hmm. kind of stuff like that. So. Environmental. Yeah, and environmental stuff. So that's where I'm hoping to put some of my scientific, and uh, practical knowledge into. Yeah.
0: So once again, probably be really good for fracking, huh? I'm just messing.
2: With me. uh, <laughs> well, you... I mean, we'll be we'll be talking about those bills, so I'll For be sure. I'll be definitely putting my two cents in. Good.
1: Okay. How do you think you're going to deal with constituent services?
2: Well, uh, we <laughs> will be uh, doing a lot of constituent services. It's what I really pride myself on, and you know that's why we knocked on so many doors in the campaign, and you know talking to the people and finding out what's important to them and seeing what their ideas are really important for getting the job done that really helps the people out. So we'll have regular town hall meetings, we'll have uh, happy hours and coffees, office hours at the Capitol if people wanna come down to see me. Uh, there'll be plenty of lobby days from different organizations coming down. And you know, as long as I'm available uh, at the time, we'll definitely make a chance to see uh, the group of people that are there. And my legislative aide will be, you know, answering as much as I can on my behalf for, for the answers that he can give the, the people. And then for the tough questions, he'll refer those to me and I will get back to people as, as needed.
1: Aris and I had a wild ride on some constituent services.
2: Yeah. And you know what? We're never,
3: ever going to talk about the kidnapping again. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get kidnapped? No.
2: no. <laughs> Man, that's long story. A, that's we'll have a, like a if you ever story. want to
1: come for a beer, you're I'll buy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just
3: take that one. Okay, so I will have to ask when you. a th-
4: lobbyist, right? That's not a gift. None yeah, of that's right. I'm okay. not a lobbyist. <laughs> Good question.
3: <laughs>
1: She's
0: actually about to be an eight again, so
3: yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: She'll
0: be up there. She will probably, probably see her
3: up there. So they say that. You know, your executive functions that you demonstrate during the course of a campaign are supposed to give us some sign of how a person will act in office. What do you think your campaign says about you and how you will interact with legislative members and your constituents? Um,
0: well, and I want to tag onto that too. Uh, what do you think was the biggest factor in all of that that helped you win office as well?
2: Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, us going door to door. And talking to people and making the election about them was one of the big things that people really responded to. And um, when I went to the door, I, I would tell people that, you know, if you don't like what I do in the, in the legislature, I want you to tell me about it. If there's something I, uh, that you do like that I'm doing, I want you to tell me about it. Because that's telling me what you want me to do more of. It's about being authentic and just telling people how it is and saying well, you know, there's going to be some things you're not going to like that I'm going to do. (laughs) And there's going to be some things that you're going to like that I'm going to do. And, you know, no matter who you pick, that's going to be true. You know, you want to pick this person who's going to be upfront about what you're going to get. And I want to hear what you have to say about it. And I want to hear what your opinion is and what your ideas are. You know, that's really what resonated with a lot of the people we talked to when it comes to, Uh, actually being in the legislature it's it's the same you know it's being honest about how i'm going to vote on things which everybody in the legislature expects you to do and if you don't that's really bad (laughs) you don't do that (laughs) you know people are counting on votes on certain bills and you say you're going to vote on it and you have to make a really good decision about it before you commit to doing that and uh you know i'm going to be listening to uh, the people in the district to make sure that I'm voting as much as I can with what the people want without going against my moral compass. You know, I have my own line in the sand that I'll draw on certain issues. And there are certain ones that, you know, I'll be looking for the, the public to, to weigh in on to see how they want me to vote. It's really uh, the best way that I see to do the people's work.
3: Okay. So I do have a follow up for that. You come from a conservative district How do you balance that representing the people of your district with your personal moral code, as you stated, because sometimes those two don't go hand in hand.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, there's I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people in my district that are are not going to like my stance on freedom of choice. But, you know, I was very upfront about that. And it was front and center on my website. It was there. A lot of people never brought it up. But, you know, the people elected me and I was very upfront about how I felt about those things. So uh, when it comes to the issues that I said I was going to do and how I felt about it, I'm going to stick with I'm going to do those things that I said I was going to do. It's going to be the things that I didn't say that I'm going to look to the people to to weigh in on on some of those things, because those were the the little bit of minutiae uh, items that didn't really come up. Well, no, and I Here's appreciate you saying that because there's a lot of people
0: that'll just say whatever needs to be said to whatever group and just go with that for the time being. But you are straight up and just said, "Look, this is what I believe. If you don't agree, talk to me about it."
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I tell people at the door, it's like you know, I'm 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 grateful for this conversation we're having right now. And I don't want it to be the last one. I want to continue the conversation, and, you know, come to the town halls. And I mean, I in,
0: in that, did you experience any sort of discrimination or any sort of hatred or anything for certain ideas? or?
2: You know, people at the doors are generally pretty respectful. Online, they're, they're not as much. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, well, because they don't have to, they don't then. have to look at you in the yeah. eye. <laughs> exactly. So, there were not a lot of people really saying terrible things in my face. It happened just, a couple times a lot more just positive things people saying like thank you for running and we we really need this right now and you know people were really grateful and i had a lot more cheers and and hugs at the door hmm. uh than i did any kind of hatred yes. Nice. that's encouraging
4: yeah.
3: that's very encouraging because I feel like other places you show up in front of the door and they're like I will shoot you
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean we did we did choose who we went to go talk to yeah. Oh, the targeting it's, is a big part of yeah we knew mean, probably not to talk to and you know that's just <laughs> I want to go home and not cry at the end of the day. I don't want to be, you Fair know. Enough.
0: But we talk about you being in a, you know, right-leaning district. You still had to appeal to a lot of independents and probably people that didn't agree with you on a lot of things at the door. So yep. that's why we're sort of yep. bringing it up.
2: Yeah, and, and I had people that I talked to that were, you know, independent voters that leaned Republican, and they said that they hadn't voted for one Democrat in the whole entire last election. I remember those days. But <laughs> good. But but I, but I actually, I actually you know, had those people at the end of the conversation saying they were going to vote for me nice. because I was honest about what I wanted to do. And I told them, yeah, you're not going to like everything to do. <laughs> I mean, who, what politician says that? You know, everybody wants you to think that they're going to do everything that, that you want them to do. And it's just like, yeah. that's not true.
3: No, that's true. Except for the people that we should believe that said they were going to do everything they were going to do. <laughs> What, okay. the redhead mosquito? I just can't, I,
2: you know. Is it a redhead mosquito?
3: Yeah, that's what I call Donald Trump. Oh. Right? He's <laughs> annoying, he bites, and he has red hair.
0: He's more of a red face than hair. Well, Where are but I, but we're, we're not gonna going to go there.
3: there. You have a win in a red-leaning area. How do you feel about your win, and what do you think it means for the rest of Colorado as we move forward and become a more progressively blue state?
2: I think that it's it's an encouraging thing. Uh I think it also shows uh how many new people are moving into Colorado and the different attitudes that are, are coming in with that. You know, we talked to a lot of people that moved to Colorado recently and uh you know, despite you being a native and by not liking that too. It's okay.
3: Much. I'm just going to build a wall. <laughs> I'm just just going to build a wall.
2: Uh, <laughs> terrible um, walls. <laughs> And you know, like, there's a lot of a lot of new attitudes coming in, and and with that, you know, there's been a lot of progressive people coming in, and a lot of those old ways are kind of going along with that.
0: Do You feel like there'll be longevity with that, in the sense of your area and other areas, more like just better chances of Democrats winning them in the future.
2: I think so. Yeah, and especially you know, if we really are looking to work across the aisle to make sure that we're trying to make as many people in our districts happy as we can and, you know, not have them be disillusioned by the fact that they're going to get everything that they want or not get anything that they want. Because that's, you know, what representative government is. You you can't just go against 49.6% of the people that you represent. That's That's a lot of people that didn't vote for me. <laughs> And, you know, I have to think about those people because, you know, I want at least a portion of those people to vote for me the next time. And I don't want them to be having distrust in the government that that I'm not I'm working against them, that I'm doing something that's not in their interest.
1: Per se, like I was in your district and I came to you with a concern. It was a concern against a bill you had or it, it went against your grain. Would you at least consider, like, working with me to come to maybe, like, a compromise?
2: Yeah, I mean, if the if it's something that I think is something that I can agree with and, at some point, and I think that a lot of other people would as well, but I will try to probably argue against you and <laughs> convince you that it's not a good idea. Okay, honest it, answer. It, if, it's, if it's something that I don't really believe in, you know, I want to try to tell you that, I I don't really believe in that, and this is the reason why. And if you can give me an argument that convinces me otherwise, then you know maybe we can come to some kind of deal. But that's everybody has their own opinion about things, and that's what makes us uh, all unique people.
0: I want to end with sort of a fun question: Is what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Like, what are some hobbies or pet projects you might have?
2: Well, uh, yeah, if you have any free time. (laughs) Well, I I haven't uh, much lately. I, I like to cook. I have a few things uh, I need to make for for the holidays. What's uh, your favorite? Uh, I'm gonna make some homemade cannolis. Ooh, a whole family recipe. Um, that sounds so delicious. I, I you cannot accept bribes. I accept bribes. <laughs> 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 so. So. Some cannolis. Argument, David. Yeah, and and yeah, they're 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 pretty good. I must say. Uh, I also cure my own olives, but that's only a seasonal thing, Uh, so next September I'll be doing that. I do like to do some photography, so after the session I'll probably be going up to the mountains to do a little photography and do a little painting too, and I have a painting of the Capitol I've been trying to finish for the last eight months, (laughs) and I want to get it up on my wall in my office, so I'm going to finish painting that and, and get that up there. But and I also like to uh, do some trail running. I want to get back into the, my trail running and running a campaign, but not actually be running the trails again. And yeah, and then also, uh, you know, occasionally I make a batch of beer, do a little home <laughs> brewing. So it's very Colorado. And, and Joe wants. Joe's been bugging me about making him a batch of beer. <laughs> He's thirsty. So
4: we, we wanted a we wanted a campaign special, but it was already we were already too busy to. Have it uh, get ready in time to have like a special event featuring it. Yeah.
3: You're not in Florida. You didn't have that time for them to count. count yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> process. Our clerks are slow,
4: but not that slow. Yeah. Okay. I'll
1: start thought. with it. My final thought. So there's nobody in my family believes me about this until they actually read it in the newspaper. Um, in Kansas City, there's a water park. Um, they're actually getting sued now because a Kansas representative, his, his son, some you know teenager led him on the ride with a bunch of uh, overweight women and the physics are that the little boy just went off in the water park and he was beheaded unfortunately you can google this (laughs) (laughs) and two years later i think it's called Schlitterbach or something like that which means insane or crazy in german google it people they're getting sued and in kansas city missouri now and the representative is a tea party or, i don't know i feel in i Indiana do feel sorry for him as a human being or? uh they are doing a bill in kansas on this my again my my own cousins didn't believe me when i brought this up they thought i was inventing this <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> he can't give a straight face right now. The decapitated man. <laughs> <thing. Like, laughs> wow, <did> you, <laughs> you went more,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I guess I'll go if you want. Um, my final thought, and I feel like I keep harping back to a couple of the same things, but I want to talk about the border and all the people that came from Central America and walked thousands of miles to try to enter the U.S. The pictures we saw of a mother dragging her two young children that were in diapers away from tear gas. I mean, it's it's absolutely appalling and upsetting. And I think that we we really do need to evaluate where we stand on these things and how we accept the re- reactions from our government against people trying to seek asylum through a legal system and are being treated as military invaders, essentially. And I I don't like it, and I think that we need to address this. So that's my final thought.
3: Well, and my final thought is about me. Why? Because it's about me. (laughs) Having the opportunity to travel this holiday and escape my family by running away to San Francisco, I just want to say that I do not have a fuck you today. Because DIA actually worked. I got through security quickly. I did not get harassed. I actually watched a white person be randomly selected. Also, on the way back, San Francisco was shit. So fuck you, San
2: Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Timber's <laughs> better. Well, let me, let me say my final thought is the uh, result of, of this election is really telling of what is really trying to come down the road here with uh, people coming against hate, uh, coming together against hate, and, you know, it's really shown a lot of people's true colors. We had a lot of this stuff not really rearing its ugly head uh, during the Obama administration, at least not as much. There were still a lot of people saying some bad things, but now, you know, they've been emboldened, and we, you know, they've been doxing them, (laughs) you know, and like, oh, yeah, look at that, there's a guy. Um, So, You know, just if you're gonna be hateful, just go back in the in the shadows and don't leave us alone. We we just want to live our lives, and because of that, we're gonna get people elected that are going to make sure that uh, people are protected and and your way of life that you want to do. I'm kind of talking to the people that are hateful right now. Don't bother, because we're gonna be uh, coming together stronger, and we're gonna be against. the the bad hatred policies that you want to do and uh, the good will prevail and uh, the light will shine I like that
0: that will do it for Politically Pissed this week we hope you've enjoyed your time with us and we hope you have a wonderful day thanks, bye